Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Tonight is possibly our short, the shortest amount of verses that we will look at, um, but possibly the most important. And so if this is your first week with us, we have been in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. Uh, if you didn't get a handout on your way in, those are in there, uh, or those are on the tables, and so you can grab one of those. Um, actually, Ricky, can you grab some and hand them to people uh, delicately. <laughs> That's the only way I know how to do that. Um, but if you didn't get one, uh, throw your hand up and Ricky will let you take one from him. <laughs> so, uh, how about that? You got to put it in a bucket. Uh, anybody else on this side? Anybody on this side didn't get one? Abby's over there. <laughs> Josh didn't get one. Oh, no, Josh is leaving. <laughs> So anyways, Philippians is uh, a book about joy and finding joy and how to find it. And so we started this, uh, this will be lesson number five of this series. And one of the reasons why, and we kind of laid this out at the beginning, one of the reasons why we enjoy doing, I say we, I enjoy doing verse-by-verse studies is because that's the way our mind tends to process a book of the Bible. Um, Sometimes, and if you've been with us on Sunday morning, we're kind of bouncing around to different biblical principles, and there's a time and a place for that. Um, We try to keep it cohesive in how we do a series, but specifically on Wednesday nights, we want to dive into a book. We want to try to squeeze it for all that it's worth. We want to go through every single verse so that we've got something that we can really build upon and have a um, broad snapshot of what that book looks like and how it applies to our life. And so when we say verse-by-verse study, what we're doing is we're going through verse-by-verse trying to draw an application to our life. Um, We all say that we believe the whole Bible. We all say that the Bible is applicable um, and that every verse is important, but yet many times our human nature, when we don't understand something, all of a sudden it's not that important. And so we want to try to make sure that we're not doing that. And so that leads us to um, our verses for tonight. Like I said, this is going to probably be the fewest amount of verses that we look at, but um, it is probably the most important, and I will explain why in just a moment. And so Philippians chapter number 2, look at verse number 14. I'm going to check my lapel thing to make sure that it's on. It is. Um, Philippians chapter number 2, verse 14. Let's read these uh, together. We don't have to read them out loud, but just follow along. Verse number 14 says this, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Has there ever been a more applicable verse for where we're at as Christians and as a country than verse number 15? We'll talk about that in just a second. But verse number 16, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy 
and rejoice with me. Let's go and read probably one of our parents' favorite verses to quote to us as children. Verse number 14. Let's read it out loud together. Ready, begin. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. How many of you, your mom ever quoted that to you when you were like, oh, mom, all right. We're going to try to help you out maybe with that a little bit tonight. And uh, maybe you can quote it to your kids or your future spouse one day. That's also a possibility. And so, um, but we're going to look at these verses. Here's why I believe that these are so important is because very specifically in this, in these verses, there is a charge and there is a result and then there's a completion. Okay. We're going to see that through our points tonight, but we see very clearly that Paul, sometimes in scripture, your commands can kind of get crossed over and you don't know what you're actually supposed to do. This is something that is very clear. It may not mean what you think it means. It may not even mean what your mom might have used it for as a child. So we might help you and give you a little, little wiggle room with that. But there's a very clearly a charge or a command. There's very clearly a result and there's very clearly a completion in what it looks like at the end. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at these verses tonight and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to look into your word. Lord, I pray we would never take it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take it and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, I pray that as Christians that we would be a light in this crooked and perverse world as verse number 15 mentions. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand out in the crowd, Lord, to stand out in how we live our lives and to stand out with the joy that comes as a result of being a Christian. I pray that you would help us to take these words, Lord, take these verses, apply them to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say, Lord, that you would help me to say only that which you would have me to. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight, really, the main thought that I want us to walk out of here with is that your Christian life should be a source of constant joy that impacts others. Your Christian life should be a source of constant joy that impacts others. And here's why I say it that way is because for most of us, if we're honest, when we think specifically of our joy, our, the way that we feel, the joy that comes from with, uh, within us, most of us, if we were honest and we took an evaluation of that, it would probably look more like a roller coaster ride, wouldn't it? That, well, I'm happy about this. Oh, I'm unjoyful about this. Well, I've got joy because of this, and then I've, I've lost joy because of this. I've got joy because I got to spend time with a friend. I've got joy because now I have no friends. I've got joy because I've got a girlfriend. I've got joy because I just lost a girlfriend, okay? You can ride this emotional roller coaster, and it will impact your joy. But here's what I want you to see, is that Christian joy, joy that comes from Jesus Christ, is a source of constant joy. And what we want to look at tonight is that your joy should be consistent as a Christian. You say, that's hard. Yeah, you're right. And guess what? If I had to guess, we'd probably get it wrong more than we get it right, okay? But the Bible teaches us that there is this consistency that comes from a joy that comes from Jesus Christ. And if we can find that, it could very well be that it would change not only our life, but the life of those around us that we're called to impact. And so with that in mind, I want us to notice, first of all, the command of constant joy. The command of constant joy. Before we look at this verse, I want to just remind you about how we concluded last week, okay? So I want you to go back and look at verse number 12. 
Verses 5 through 11, we talked about where it was a description of Jesus Christ. So it talks about how Jesus Christ came to this earth. He veiled himself. We said that it was called the kenosis passage, which is talking about how Jesus actually wrapped himself in humanity. But then we closed with verses 12 and 13, and, and it says in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he says, you've always done so well. You've always obeyed God's command, sometimes when I'm there with you, but you've even done well when I'm not there and, and you're not accountable to me. But he says, work out your own salvation. And what we said about those words was that that's not a point of work salvation. Your salvation is not something that you can earn, but we compared it to James chapter number one, where, where James writes and he says that faith without works is dead. And so what he's saying is, prove your salvation. Are you who you say you are? Have you actually been changed? Okay? So he says that in verse 12, and then look at verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I want you to see this, okay? He closes these thoughts in verses uh, 12 and 13, and he says, you need to work out your own salvation. You need to prove it. And you need to know that God is the one that is working in you. What is his first sentence following that? Verse number 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So he basically says, if we can kind of bring all of this together, here's what he's saying. He says, look at the life of Jesus Christ and how he came and he lived a perfect life here on this earth. He became a human. He died for your sins. And one of these days, the whole world's going to bow down to him. You need to begin to work out your own salvation. You need to know that God is the one that is working in you. And what's a good way for you to show that? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Sometimes we like to isolate a verse and try to say, like, well, this is really important, okay? And this is like, I know you guys are looking at me like, yeah, this is like your soapbox, okay? I'm going to get on it for just a second, and then I promise I'll get right back off, okay? But sometimes we isolate it, and we try to make it important. But the truth is, is the context matters. And as he's trying to get this church, these Christians, ready for heaven, ready to stand before Jesus Christ one day, one of the very key things that he highlights and commands that they do is to do all things without murmurings and disputing. So what does that actually mean and how does it relate to constant joy? First of all, notice this, that constant joy is about obedience. This is a command, okay? This is something that he is telling them to do. It's an imperative sentence for us in the English language. It has an understood you. There's a lot of different ways you can look at it, but at its, at its root, he is telling them, this is what you should do. Now, let's rewind for just a second. Let's talk about the Paul, when he's writing this to the, book, to the church of Philippi, the book of Philippians. Okay, that's where I was going with that. But the church of Philippi, when he was writing this, he never, he never confronted sin. This is one of the only epistles that Paul doesn't use to confront sin. But yet he gives them a very clear command about murmurings and disputings. He's not saying that they're doing it. He's not saying that they're involved in it. He just simply says, this is something that would be good for you to do. So it is a source. It is, a, it is an option of obedience. Constant joy is about obeying. Can I just share a simple rule of life with you? That gossip 
and murmurings, and we'll define that in just a second, but gossip and murmurings and disputings should never have its place in the life of a Christian. And here's why I say that. Because it not only will hurt you, it will hurt someone else. And chances are, if it is someone that is in the body of Christ, then you're hurting someone that you'll spend eternity with. And here's what I want you to see even more so, is that it will eventually, as it spreads, hurt the cause of Christ. And sometimes we like to sit around and we like to try to, well, let's f- try to figure this out. Let's try to figure out why so-and-so did this. Let's try to, let's try to see, like, who, who do we think did this? Or why do we think? And as a child of God, let's go back to the love chapter, okay? Charity never faileth. Why? Because charity thinketh no evil, okay? And sometimes we like to spend our time talking ab- more about others than talking to God about them and talking to others about God, okay? It's a famous quote, and I'm not going to know who said it, but the, the basic premise of it is that great people talk about ideas, small people talk about people. And if you spend your days in your life talking about someone else or something else or a topic that you might not understand, You're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt others, and you're going to hurt the cause of Christ, okay? Now let's define what these words mean. First of all, this is a a, constant joy is about obedience, but then constant joy is all-inclusive. Constant joy is all-inclusive, and here's what I mean by that. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. So sometimes we like to give ourselves an out on the command, don't we? Like, well, he probably doesn't mean this, right? He probably doesn't mean this situation. He probably doesn't, God probably doesn't mean like right now how I feel toward this person. That probably doesn't. No, do all things. This is all-inclusive, okay? This is all-encompassing. He wants us to do everything. He wants us to do hard things without murmurings and disputings. He wants us to do maybe easy things without murmurings and disputings. He wants to do things that we understand without murmuring and complaining about them. He wants us to do things that we don't understand without murmuring and disputing about them. But then I want you to notice lastly, that not only is constant joy about obedience and constant joy is all-inclusive, but constant joy is a choice. Sometimes we quote this verse, and I think that we think we know what it means, but we don't actually know. The word murmuring is actually the word that it, it basically is this, a secret story about someone else. A secret story about someone else. It has a negative concept of that, well, I think this person did that, so I'm going to hold it against them. I'm going to talk about it with someone else. But the word disputings actually means this. It actually means doubts or fears or uncertainty about something that you don't know about. And let's just be honest. That's probably 90% of our life, isn't it? Well, this person did this. Be careful, and I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Be careful of attaching motives to someone that you don't know about. Okay? I'm not talking about like that, well, they're just judging me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about attaching motives to someone else. And can I just give you a very simple rule of thumb to live by as a child of God? If someone is talking about someone else in your presence... I'm not saying that you have to be Holy Joe spiritual and be like, you need to stop that right now. But you do need to consider the fact that that is 
one side of the story. That that is maybe an opportunity for you to go and confirm the truth with someone else. And guess what? It may very well be that if it is true, that you need to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. It's interesting to me, and I've already mentioned this, or alluded to this earlier in this series, and I'll allude to it right now, and then we'll move on to the next spot, okay, the next point. It's interesting to me that there are companies now that have an, a, a, a zero tolerance for gossip. L- literally, like, Fortune 500 companies won't allow you to gossip in the workplace. Zero tolerance for it. You'll be fired. One of those companies is right down the road here, uh, maybe not Fortune 500, but Dave Ramsey Company has a zero tolerance um, for gossip. You gossip, you're fired. No ifs, ands, and buts. You gossip about a coworker, a fellow employee, a boss, a supervisor, you're gone. Let that sink in. That what the world is saying is, hey, this could possibly hurt you. That there's organizations that, that know that it doesn't end well for you. And so what they're willing to say is, we'll literally bet your fortune and your income and your well-being to make you not do that and not be involved in that. And here's what I want you to see as a child of God and as a Christian. That if organizations and companies and, and people in the world who might be lost can look at something like that and see it as destructive, then we as children of God who have a Bible that says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that, the, that like a ton of verses in the book of Proverbs tell you not to talk about someone else, not to, go, not, to go to, not to listen to someone without going and telling them what was said about them or not confirming a story. We have a Bible that has already taught us that, so let's begin to practice it with each other. It will be a sad day in heaven when we all have to stand in line, which I don't know that we'll have to do, but just for figure of illustration, okay, let's pretend that we do. That we all have to stand in line with people that we talked about waiting to get into the kingdom of heaven. You don't even stand in line for a roller coaster with people that you talk bad about. Why does you make it? Why do you think it's going to be comfortable for you standing in line, walking into like face God face to face with people that you've talked about? So let's begin to live as a state of constant joy. How? By being a part of doing all things without murmurings and disputings. Of being a part of searching for truth. Of being a part of knowing what's going on and being aware of the signs and times. And here's what I want us to want to close with before we move on to this. Is that many of the problems that we have with someone else pale in comparison with the problems that God actually wants us to focus on. And I want to say that again because I want you to catch that. Many of the problems that we have with someone else pale in comparison to the problems that God actually wants us to focus on. I don't think that one of these days we'll stand before God and we'll say, boy, God, I really straightened things out in the Crosspoint class by making sure that everyone knew this about that one person that did this and making sure that everybody didn't like how this person was acting or, or making sure that they actually knew how they acted when we were dating. Or, and by the way, I'm using these as illustrations, not hoping that they're not happening. Okay, so everybody's like, who is he talking about? I hope no one, all right? <laughs> but I, I did, 
and God never gave us that job. Like it's not a part of the Great Commission to go into all the world and make sure that everybody knows what so-and-so actually did, okay? That's not a part of it. If it is, I missed it, okay? God cares about souls going to heaven. And as Paul writes to this church of Philippi that is a good church, the one thing that he tells them to work out their own salvation with, that God is the one that's working in their life, and that one of these days they're going to see Jesus, the one charge he gives them is do all things without murmurings and disputings. Secondly, so there's the command for constant joy. But secondly, there's the cause of constant joy. When you can live a life that has no secrets and that has no doubts and no uncertainties, what is the cause? What, what does that begin to do to those around you? And here's what he's basically trying to get them to do. Is if you don't have anything against someone beside you and you have no disputes and doubts and uncertainties in your mind about what God has called you to do, then you can have an impact on those around you. So how does that happen and what does that look like? It's found in verse number 15. He says that you do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So what's the result of choosing not to live a life that is filled with murmurings and disputings, but choosing to live a life that is a constant choice of constant joy? It will begin to look like this. First of all, constant joy builds trust. Constant joy builds trust. If you spend your time with people that will talk bad about someone else, always know this, they will talk bad about you. If you have surrounded yourself with people that always have to have the scoop, note this, that they will have to have the scoop one day about you. This is just kind of practical, okay? Like I said, I'm not trying to like beat a drum. It's the chapter and verse that we're on. But it is, it, sometimes our relational health and our interrelationship with those around us is the greatest thief of joy in our Christian life. And if you can surround yourself with Christians who are on the same path and wanting the same thing as you, then that can actually be a source of Christian joy. So constant joy builds trust. He says this, that you may be blameless and harmless. Have you ever been around someone who is blameless and harmless, but they're unhappy? Probably not. They're harmless because chances are you look at them and you're like, they have some joy there. There's something different about them. There's something that is unique. They're enjoyable to be around. They have something that I want. And that makes them blameless and harmless. That word blameless there, if you go back and you look at the Greek word, it actually means without handles. How many of you have ever watched uh, some sort of football game and you've seen the guys that are on like the offensive line, okay? Like the, the big guys, like the guys who basically get paid to eat, which is kind of where I'm headed right now in my life, okay? But they get paid to eat, okay? You've seen the guys up front, raise your hand, okay? I know sports have been gone for a really long time, but we have seen that, right, okay? If you ever notice their shirts are super tight, and it's normally not a result of their, um, normally, well, it could be a result of their eating habits, but 
there's also an intended purpose for that. It's because they don't want anything extra to be able to grab onto. Football jerseys and certain uniforms that you, while you, if you watch rugby sports center because they have nothing else to post here lately, I follow them on Instagram. They've just been posting like random rugby highlights. I was like, I didn't even know people actually did this, okay? But it's great. But if you look, there's nothing to grab onto, right? It's because they don't want to, and I want you to listen to this, give a stronghold or a foothold to the opponent. When that word blameless shows up in your Bible that means without handles, here's what it's saying, is that your life should be so foolproof and so tight-knit to God and His Word that there are no handles for the enemy or for Satan or for those around you to grab onto. And chances are, right now, if you went and you asked people at your place of work, hey, would you feel like that I was blameless? Do you, do you have anything that you could point to in my life that would hurt the cause of Christ? Chances are most of us would have that. That's a handle. That's a stronghold. That's something that someone can point to and say, eh, yeah, you said that you're a Christian, but there's this. You said this, but there's this. And that is not something that builds trust. So we're harmless and we're blameless as a result of constant joy. Secondly, constant joy shows relationship. He says this, the sons of God. Would someone at your college or at your place of work or wherever you may interact with someone, would someone be able to see that there was a relationship with God there? I'm not talking about maybe how you dress or how your hair is cut or any of those external things. I'm talking about your attitude, your persona, how you live your life. Is there something that says, I am different when you walk into a room? Or are you just another grumpy person in the drive-thru like everybody else? Give me my coffee. I don't want to wear a mask. Okay, I'll put on my mask if you give me my coffee. Okay, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of different applications to this right now. But is there something unique that shows that you have a relationship with God? I don't ever want to be the type of person that I can correct every wrong in humanity and never see the wrongs in my own life that is hurting my Christianity. And sometimes what we're so guilty of doing is that we fix so many other things in this world but we never show people that there is a relationship with God. First, or thirdly, constant joy dissolves rebuttal. He says this, without rebuke, which means this. We already said blameless, but if you had to get into a five-year-old argument match about your Christianity and about your faith and about your joy, would you win? When I say five-year-old arguing match, what I'm talking about is, are you a Christian? No, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. My, I'm living in that world right now with a five- and three-year-old, okay? But is there anything that would be a rebuttal for that? No, you're not because I saw you do this, or I heard you do this, or, or I see how you act and how you handle stress and how you handle pressure, and you handle it the same way everyone else does. I saw how you handled disappointment. I saw how you handled sickness in your family. I saw how you handled this. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison, okay? 
So if there's ever a guy who has an excuse to not be joyful, it's him. But even in prison, he doesn't give, a re- he doesn't give an opportunity for a rebuttal. Fourthly, constant joy stands out. Constant joy stands out. He says, In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. There's so much there. I'm just going to leave it at this. That a source of constant joy in your life will cause you to stand out. The truth is, is there's not a lot of joyful people in the world today. In fact, I would dare say that anyone outside of Jesus Christ, even if they may appear joyful, it is a false joy. And my fear and what I have begun to see even sometimes in my own life, but even in the church and in Christianity and especially in young adults, is that we have taken on the false and fake joy of the world and added it to our Christianity. And that's why we live on that emotional, joyful roller coaster. Number five, constant joy promotes the scripture. He says, holding forth the word of life, holding forth the word of life. When you live a joyful life, you are showing people that the book that you say that you believe in is actually alive and true. And then lastly, constant joy gives purpose. I want you to see this. He says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs to consider the end of a thing. Consider the end of a thing. This is just a good habit and a good practice to build all around. But when you begin something, or maybe you're looking at, to add something into your life, or maybe you're looking at a relationship or a job opportunity or whatever, consider the end of a thing. There's a lot of things that are exciting at the beginning, okay? In fact, everything new is exciting at the beginning. But consider the end of a thing. Consider what your life will look like if you keep doing, going down that path. Consider what your life will look like if you marry and date and, and get engaged and have kids with that person. Consider the end, okay? Yeah, he's good looking at the beginning, but we're not talking about good, looking, good looks at this point. Because you're like, well, what if he's not good looking at the end? God was wrong. Like, he, he didn't believe me to the right, but I'm not talking about that, okay? But consider the end of a thing. Is he going to be a godly man for you 30, 40 years from now? Is she going to be someone as a, as a wife and as a, as, as a spouse, is she going to be someone that supports you 30 to 40 years from now and that helps you grow spiritually? See, sometimes we like to so look for what's new and what's next that we miss the fact that, that most of our decisions in this life don't show consequences until years down the road. So consider the end of it. And here's what he's saying. When I look at living a joyful Christian life, what I see at the end is that my race was not in vain. What I see in my future is that it's going to be worth it. And here's your choice. You have a choice to cross over into eternity as a joyful Christian or as a, for lack of a better term, grumpy Christian. And I would hate for my last breath on this earth to be filled with bitterness 
and disputings and murmurings and despair and to stand before my Savior and say, man, it was really bad down there. Knowing that he has given me an opportunity for joy and that it is worth it and it gives purpose. And then lastly is this, the completion of constant joy. What does it look like for it to be worth it? I want you to look at verse number 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So first of all, be joyful in your sacrifice. How many times do we get miserable when God asks us to do something? When God asks us to maybe give a little more? What's Romans 12, verse 1 say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what's the next word? Reasonable. And how many times are we like, oh, are you serious? It's not reasonable. It's hard. And the only thing that makes it reasonable and that you can find joy in is when you look back at what Jesus Christ did for you. When you look back at how much he gave for your life, then all of a sudden your sacrifice doesn't seem so great, does it? Your sacrifice doesn't seem so tedious and so, so consuming. It seems reasonable because of what Jesus Christ paid for you to be able to serve him. So be joyful in your sacrifice. Secondly, be joyful in your service. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. He says that if I look at you and I end up having to die as a result of what I have done and what you have done for the cause of Christ, how does he respond to that? He says, I joy. I joy joy. I wonder how many of us, if we were being taken to be killed for Jesus Christ tonight, how many of us would say, I joy? I will be honest with you, I would, as your teacher, would probably be a far cry from it. But if Jesus and God is who he says he is, then it is an honor and it is a joy to do anything for him. And most of us as Christians in 2020 in the United States of America, we're not there yet. We're not there to where our sacrifice and our service are counted as joy. We can't even find joy if someone handed us a broom and says, hey, could you help me sweep up the animal crackers that all the kids stomped on? Oh my goodness, I'm persecuted for the gospel. I, I can't believe that. Just go ahead and put a noose around my neck. Like that, that's the way that we respond. And Paul is sitting in a prison cell and he's saying, hey, if I die because of what we've accomplished, I'm joyful. I'm going to rejoice in that. And he closes by, with two thoughts here. We'll pull them out and then we'll be done. He says, be joyful in your sacrifice. Be joyful in your service. Be joyful for others. He says, your service of your faith. He says, if I die as a result of what you've done, I'm okay with that. 
And most of us, if we're honest, we can't see past the good in someone to see what God is doing. We're just consumed that maybe someone else is doing something different than we are. Or someone's better at, at oh my goodness, that person, they got, they got the Christian of the Year Award at church. Which, by the way, we don't give those out, so don't start competing for it, okay? <laughs> I cannot believe that they got that. I should have gotten that. We, we can't even see past it to be able to support someone. Remember, let's go back to the love chapter, okay? Love boasteth not. Well, I'm a better Christian. Love thinketh no evil. Well, if only they knew what that person did. And we're called to love each other. So be joyful for others, but then lastly is be joyful with others. Be joyful with others. He says this, verse number 18, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now I want to close. I know that a lot of times we, we go through all that, and sometimes I think it's too much. Okay, um, If I knew how to make those lessons shorter, I would do them, but I don't. So just stop coming, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But I want to boil it down and give you a conclusion and an application for just a second. Because sometimes here's what I think we're guilty of in church. Is that we can sit there and we can listen and we can fill in our little blanks and we can shake our little heads and we can say, Oh yeah, oh yeah, God's good. I'm supposed to be joyful. Yeah, this is great. And we, and we walk out here and we don't change anything. Okay. So let me just boil it down for you. When you read through the book of Philippians, here's what I think that you can see throughout it. If you look back over just the five lessons that we've done so far, there's a lot of talk about how Paul finds joy in them as the church and as Christians at Philippi and how they find joy in Paul as a leader and as a spiritual influencer and who is in prison but still choosing to find joy. So he talks a lot about the two-way street. In fact, I can't off the top of my head prove this, but I think we've almost every time had a point or a sub-point in every lesson about how Paul's joy affects them and about how their joy affects Paul. But we've also had points throughout about how joy is found in Jesus. And from lesson one, here's what I said from kind of just background and study of the book of Philippians, is that I think that Paul was writing to literally the ideal church. I think these guys had it figured out. In fact, I told you lesson number one that Paul in this book plays the role of cheerleader. He's not trying to fix anything. He's just trying to tell them to keep going. He's just trying to encourage them to keep going the direction you're going and do a, do a better job at it but he's careful to put all of his eggs in one basket and say that your joy is interdependent or codependent upon each other. Because for most of us, if we base our joy, even off of the people in this room that we love and that we get to associate with, you're going to have some moments where it's like, well, I can't believe that they did that. And your joy is not codependent. But here's what I want you to see is there's this little theme that runs throughout the book of Philippians to where your joy is found in Jesus Christ, 
but it's also found in people that are going the same direction as you are. And here's what he does over and over again throughout this book. Hey, guess what? Your joy is found in Jesus. You need to, you need to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He goes on in uh, verse number one, or chapter number 1, he talks about that he counts it all joy to serve Jesus Christ. And by the time we get to Philippians 4, he's going to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse number 13, he's going to say, I can do all things through Christ. Okay. So there's all these verses about how your joy is found in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Find your joy in Jesus Christ and then find other people who are finding their joy in Jesus Christ. Find your joy in Jesus Christ and find other people who are also finding their joy in Jesus Christ. And let me just say that if you are looking for joy in a dating relationship, in your financial status, in the, in the education or the degrees that you have behind your name, in anything that this world has to offer, that is unstable and should not be for the Christian. You will lose at that. You will experience emptiness. But if you can find your joy in Jesus Christ, and then you can place people around you that are also finding their joy in Jesus Christ, you have set yourself in a situation and in a greenhouse for spiritual growth. Because here's why. Someone fails me, man, sorry, my joy was in Jesus anyways. I thought you were going on the same direction, but, but you're not. I thought that this relationship was going to work out, but guess what? It didn't. My joy's still in Jesus. Man, I thought that I was going to get a huge tax return and I was going to be able to go to Hawaii, but I didn't. Good thing my joy's not found in Hawaii. Guess it's just found in Murfreesboro. Or Smyrna, or Laverne, or wherever. I don't know. We, could, we won't go through every city in the county, okay? I guess my joy was, I thought my joy was going to be in this girl, but guess not. I thought my joy was going to be in this boy, but I wasn't counting on him anyways. My joy's in Jesus. Do you see now how constant joy is actually possible rather than impossible? Because now, instead of looking at everything else, we're saying, my eyes are on Jesus, and if your eyes are on Jesus, hey, we're looking at the same thing. We're going the same direction. Let's do this together. I can bring you joy. You can bring me joy. But if you mess up, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at Jesus. And too many times, we make our joy about what's going on in our life. When all along, Here's what I firmly believe, that the things that occur in our life are there to stir up joy for Jesus and not for this world. I'll give this example and we'll be done. My wife and I, we, um, we bought a house a couple of months ago and um, we have been moving into it. We've been fixing it up. I've used it as an illustration before. And I will be honest with you, it has been a learning experience and a half, and I will never do it again, okay? Um, it's been fun. I've liked it, but I'm, I'm one and done, okay? And I remember one night I was sitting there, and, and I'm, as you guys know, I'm a pretty OCD person. I like for stuff to be a certain way, and I get frustrated when, it, when it's maybe not going on schedule or it's not going the way that it should or, 
or I didn't do it right. Like it just ticks me off. And so I remember I was sitting there one night and I was like, it was like midnight. I think that I had come home after working on the house and I was disgusting and had popcorn ceiling in my hair. And it was just like one of those just very defeating moments. And it was on a weeknight. So it's like, okay, I'm so tired and I'm going to have to wake up and go to work. And I don't even know my name. And, and like, it was just like, it was one of those nights where it's like, when Lauren said, what did you get done? It's like, I put three screws in the floor. Like that was all we did. It was, it was just one of those nights that wasn't super productive. And so I, I remember I was getting ready for bed and I was getting ready. I was going to try to shower off and just try to sleep. And I remember I was sitting there and I was so hot and I was so tired. And I just remember I started, I started to like crack and I was like, this is dumb. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this stress me out. I'm not going to get frustrated at it. And what i found as I sat there and I prayed and I just thought, man, this is crazy. This was a dumb idea. And like, I had to keep reminding myself, like God was the one who brought, like we had been praying for this. And it was like one of those prayers to where it's like, God, I kind of just wish you'd have told us no. Like, yeah, I am thankful you answered it, but <laughs> no probably would have been a better answer. But I remember I was sitting there and I was just thinking like, this is, this is not going to work. Like there's no way we're going to figure everything out and get this done the way we want to and the time we want to and the money we want to spend on it. And it was like, God said, is that what's going to bring you joy anyways? And as the type of human being I am, I find joy in stuff being the way that I want it to be. Okay, if you, want to, if you want to boil it down to an Enneagram type, I'm a one, okay? So it's basically like my way or the highway, all right? And so I find joy in my, my folder system at, on my computer and in my desk drawers to be the way that I want it to be. Like I can, I can sit there and I can put papers in a file folder and step back and think, now that is a good day's work because, and it's like, because I did it the way that I wanted to. But that's not where my joy is found, or it shouldn't be. And sometimes when we feel that loss of control that we're trying to grab onto, like, oh, no, 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 it's not going to go the way I thought it would. What's the first thing we do? That's it. I'm done. Throwing in the towel. Thanks, God, for the answer to prayer, but now all it did was stress me out. And what God wants us to do as children of his and as Christians who can find joy and experience constant joy is say, the things of this world are not going to change me because that's not what I'm invested in anyways. I'm focused on Jesus Christ. And any blessing or benefit that comes as a result of that I joy. But any trial or difficulty that comes as a result of it, I joy. And if you're not careful, you will ride this roller coaster called life, and your joy will be inconsistent and, in some cases, non existent in some seasons. Because I'm carrying this burden, so therefore I cannot have joy. When the Christian should see it as, I have Jesus, therefore I have joy.
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us to pray and we'll ask God to help us. But I want to take just a moment before we pray as a, as a group and as a class to just ask you a couple of questions. The first one is this. What are you looking to find your joy in? Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's that, well, if I had this or if I could change this, then it would change the way that I have joy. In verse number 14, he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Well, why is he able to say that? Because he wants us to be able to have a constant joy. So what are you searching for joy in? Where are you finding it and may, or looking for it and maybe coming up empty? But then the second question is this. What are you focusing on? And I've asked this question, I, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But look at the things that frustrated you this week. Look at the things that maybe robbed you of some joy, and chances are those are what you're focused on or what you've prioritized. Is it Jesus? It's funny to me that most of the time the things that stress us out are not related to spiritual problems. I just didn't get to have enough time in my Bible today. Oh man, I sure wish I would have had more time to pray. No, most of the time it's, oh man, I sure hope I can pay this bill. I sure hope that so-and-so is not mad at me. What are you finding joy in? What are the things that stress you out? And then let me just ask you a very honest question for you and the Holy Spirit to spend some time thinking about. And that is this. Why, as a child of God, do you want to have inconsistent joy when you can have constant joy? Are you willing to make some changes to find that? And I don't typically do this, but for whatever reason I feel led to tonight, I want you to spend just a couple of quiet moments there in your seat. Spend some time with God. Take some evaluation. Ask God what you need to change. Ask God what you need to do differently. What are you focused on? Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.